Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to the Valentine's Views podcast. Please like, share, and subscribe if you're watching us on YouTube, and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts across the Big Blue View Radio Network. All right, the misery, the embarrassment continued for your New York Giants on Sunday as they lost to the Dallas Cowboys 49-17, game that, uh, that maybe wasn't even that close, but a uh, lot to discuss, even if... Uh, even if we're disgusted and we don't want to talk about it, and, and here to, uh, to 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 help me uh, do all of that as uh, as he does every every week in the post game is Big Blue Views Tony Del Genio. Morning, Tony. The the sun rose. We're we're vertical, so it's a great day. Except for the <laughs> except for that thing about the Giants, it's a great day. <laughs> Good morning, Ed. Yeah, I agree. I agree. We have to. Uh, <laughs> Fortunately, fortunately, we're not the one with our jobs on the on the line. Brian Dable might uh, might not be feeling the same way this morning. <laughs> yeah, um, you know, since you went there, since you went there, let's let's talk about that right off the top. Um, I have said consistently that I don't think Brian Dable's job should be in jeopardy. As I sit here this morning, I still don't think Brian Brian Dable's job should be in jeopardy. But considering the type of play that we're seeing, considering some of the things we're seeing on the sideline, considering some of the the things that that are coming out of the locker room, it becomes alarming, and it has to become. You know something where, where you have to watch what's going on because, as I've said before, this this is the point in year two where Joe Judge had everything blow up and where he lost the team and lost ownership and and lost his right to come back for a third year. So, if you're Brian Dable, you've got to be a little bit alarmed right now. Yeah, I th- I, I think so too. I think there's a. Uh... Potentially, at least, there's there are a couple of big differences from the Joe Judge era. One of them being that that first of all, just coming in, Brian Dable was a much more established coach with a track record of doing good things in the NFL, and and Joe Judge was really a hire out of the blue. I mean, I, I think a lot of us had never even heard of Joe Judge when the Giants interviewed him for the for the head coach position. Uh, the second thing is obviously that Brian Dable and and by the way, and Brian Dable hired a staff of people with great credentials. 
Uh, yes, his offensive coordinator was a first-time offensive coordinator, but but he was quarterback coach for the for the Super Bowl champions, and uh, you know, and and so uh, yeah, it's not a name that you'd never heard of before. Okay, and and Wink Martindale was obviously an established defensive coach, and he had a, hired a whole staff of people, many of whom had had lots of experience, and and we knew about. So he he was coming in as coach with, I think, a lot more credibility to begin with than Joe Judge had. And naturally, he took the Giants to the playoffs and even a playoff victory in his first season. So he he has, he and the staff have a lot of equity built up. The other thing that I think he's got going for him, if he is true to his word, is that he has always preached this this idea of the of the coaches listening to the players and getting input from the players and it not being kind of more of a dictatorial arrangement which seemed to be the way joe judge ran things uh with the with the giants and i think right now is when he really has to lean on that commitment to listen to the players i mean I, if they're not uh getting together, maybe not today, but tomorrow, if they're not getting together with the players and just having a a session for them to all talk it out and to hear what the players want and how they want to move forward and, and, and to come to some agreement with the players on, on how they want to do things, you know, then I think that's a big mistake on his part, not to be doing that right at this moment. Assuming he does do that though, I think that the players want to believe in him. And I, I could be wrong about that, but I think they do want to believe in him. And I, and I do think that John Mara does not want to get rid of another coach, head coach after two years. And so I think unless he really messes up in how he handles the situation, I think, you know, he and the staff, or at least most of the staff are good to go for next year. Well, I agree with you when it comes to Dable, because as you said, this, and we've talked about it before, I've written about it, I've talked about it. This this two-year coaching spin cycle has just got to stop because you get nowhere. You keep blowing things up. You keep starting over. You accidentally have a good year once in a while, but but you get nowhere that's really productive. And, and at, at some point, you've got to give somebody – you've got to give that person a chance, an extended chance to get this right. And it's gone alarmingly wrong for Brian Daybold this year. It's gone alarmingly wrong for Joe Shane. I still think the fact that those two guys are tied together, the fact that that they're on the same page, the fact that they're both smart people, I, I still think they can get this right. But it's it's alarming some of the things that have come out of the locker room the last couple of weeks. It's alarming to watch. And Brian Dable can say it's simple, ordinary sideline stuff, but that's nonsense. It's alarming to watch Saquon Barkley and Brian Dable get into it on the sideline after the fourth down play. It's alarming to watch Darius Slayton get into it with a wide receivers coach on the sideline. It's more than alarming to watch Brian Dayball and Wink Martindale get into it in a conversation that started before halftime and was still going on 
when they came back out on the field for the third quarter. Um, you know, those things beyond the score, those things are alarming. And those are the kinds of things th- that lead you to think that th- th- it's a dangerous time for the Giants. It's a test for Brian Dable, whatever he has to do to keep this team together, to keep this team playing hard. To their credit, in both of these last two embarrassing blowout losses, to their credit, they played hard in the second half of both games. It didn't matter because the first halves count, but it at least tells you that that there's something there, that they care, that there's still some pride there. But but all of this, all of this is alarming and has to be monitored. Yeah. I think that that I say he has he has no choice but to I don't want to say defer to the players. That's too strong a, a word, but he, they have to, as a staff, I think seriously listen this week to what the players are thinking and to admit that they haven't done everything as well as it should have been done, whether that be in constructing the team also, because I mean, there's, well, I mean, who, you know, who knows to me, I can't escape the fact that, 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 a large fraction of their problems stem from the ineptitude of the offensive line, which is sort of the source of making the entire offense dysfunctional. And uh, whatever the reason for that, whether they hired the wrong offensive line coach, whether Joe Shane brought in the wrong offensive lineman to play, whether it's just bad luck with the injuries. I mean, it, it might be some combination of all of those. I don't know. It's not necessarily just a single reason, but, uh, you know, I think they, they have to, I think, look at what the product is that they have to work with right now and why is it as bad as it is. And I think they have to get the players input on that. And, it, you know, at this point in the season, obviously they're not contending for playoff berth anymore. And so if, the players have some reasonable ideas about how they would like to do things. I would think that it probably doesn't do any harm for them to try some of the players' ideas out if they're not already doing that. But they have to do something to make sure that the players are on the side of the coaches and not acting in opposition to the coaches. I agree with that. And along that line, another disturbing thing that we saw Sunday after the game and let me be clear. I, I am in the Giants locker room after home games. I don't travel to road games. I was not in the locker room, but there were reports coming out of the locker room that at least two of the Giants captains and other veteran leaders on that team refused to speak to media after the game on, on Sunday. And now Xavier McKinney, all right. Xavier McKinney, you know, come on, Xavier, grow up, you know, but look, Xavier McKinney's out the door at the end of the season, as far as I'm concerned, if this is how he's going to behave and, and the way that he's playing, Xavier McKinney's probably an ex-giant at the end of the season. So I'm not going to worry too much about that. Dexter Lawrence, not speaking to media last night, bothers me quite a bit and people 
I saw a lot of back and forth online about Dexter Lawrence not speaking to media and what's the big deal. Well, look, it's called accountability. It's called professionalism. Dexter Lawrence just got $90 million from the New York Giants. He's still unhappy that Leonard Williams is in Seattle. I get it. He's not happy with the way that this season goes or has gone, but he is the best defensive player on this football team. He is the leader of the defense. He is a guy that everybody goes to in the locker room and follows. And if he's not going to be accountable and give the media a couple of minutes, that's not a good thing. And for me, that is another thing that, that Brian Dable has to address you want smart, he, they want smart, tough, and dependable players. And part of the job, whether they like it or not, is being accountable. Saquon Barkley stood there and talked to media last night. Darius Slayton stood there and talked to media last night. Tommy DeVito, undrafted free agent quarterback, who none of this should fall on, had to stand at a podium last night and talk to media because he was the quarterback. Bobby O'Karake spoke to media. You know, you're upset, I get it, but you but you have to be accountable, you have to be responsible. And when guys are going to shy away from that, that to me that's not a good sign. Yeah, and I thought that was a bad move by by Dexter Lawrence and I saw that uh, that he was the only one that I saw uh, that did that on on Twitter last night when I was or X when I was looking at it and and the way I found out about it was uh, a tweet by Art Stapleton who again I've ne never met Art Stapleton but he seems like a very straight shooter uh, to me and when he's being critical of a of a player like that you know then you know you say you know you say wow well, there's probably something you know really really wrong there. Part of it naturally is is just about the inherent personalities of of particular players. Some players come by it more naturally. Obviously, Saquon Barkley comes by it naturally, and 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 people are so critical of Barkley, but he has always stood up and answered the questions of the media in good times and bad. And while he's been here, it's been more bad times than good. Uh, as you say, I've noticed Okereke. Uh, doing it too. That's a, I think that's a great thing. Uh, that Andrew I, Thomas does it. Andrew Thomas has done it. Yeah. So I think, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think, yeah, someone needs to sit down with Dexter Lawrence and say, look, you've got to be one of the guys who does that. And I, I, you know, Dexter Lawrence seems to me like this, this big jovial kind of personality uh, who kind of very kind of cool and, 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 and fun loving and so on. But I think he has to realize that, especially now with his big contract, in addition to the fact that he's the best player, possibly the best player on the team. Maybe that's, that's a better way to say it, not just the, uh, a very highly paid pay player. He's got to ha embrace some of that role, whether it comes naturally to him or not. And uh, I agree that it was a bad look for him not to do that last night. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. 
That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's Insight Assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Tony, let's talk a little bit about the uh, about the product on the field. All right. And obviously, the Giants are undermanned. Obviously, they have a ton of injuries. Daniel Jones, Tyrod Taylor, Darren Waller not playing. Evan Neal, say what you want. He still is the starting right tackle. And I think we see that Tyrod Phillips is, is an okay backup, but I don't think he's starter right tackle material on a long-term basis. You know, Last night, you lose Deontay Banks. You didn't have Adoree Jackson. You lose Cordell Flott to an injury during the game. It's just, it's ridiculous. And yet you look around the league and you see the Chicago Bears win two games with Tyson Bajan, an undrafted free agent playing quarterback. You see undermanned teams week after week at least put up put up representative performances you know, and occasionally win some games that they shouldn't win. The Arizona Cardinals have one win this year, and I think it was against Dallas, if I remember correctly. Until yesterday. But, until yesterday, yes. But until Kyler Murray came back and did the Giants a big favor. But but the product that the Giants are putting on the field it is an embarrassing one. And I, for one, don't understand it with, you know, as you said at the top of the show, this is an experienced quality NFL coaching staff at a, at a lot of levels. These are people that have been on successful teams, have experienced a lot of success, experienced success a year ago, were lauded for their creativity in, in the way that the Giants did things. They were lauded for having schematic advantages week after week. And I don't think we've seen any of that all season long. And and it's it's mystifying to me that that the Giants aren't competitive, not just with Dallas, but with mediocre teams. How embarrassing is it 
that the Giants are a double-digit underdog this week to, to the Washington Commanders. Yeah, yeah, and and that's been the most surprising and I think distressing thing about the season is is just how how boring they are. And again, I realize that the injuries take their toll and 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 they reduce what you can do. But when I watch the Giants on offense, I, and I could be wrong, I'm, you know, and not that I'm charting this or anything like that, but but. They never do. They never do anything in the middle of the field, and they never do anything at intermediate depths. You know, like like crossers, seam routes, and and things of of that sort. That are the way you get chunk plays. And I realize there's a limited amount of that that you can do when the offensive line is is so bad. But okay, they don't. You know, you can even you can even be running shallow crossers that don't take very long uh, to develop. Uh, you talked about the the fourth and two play to Barkley, uh, which was kind of their one chance to, to kind of get back in the, in the game and, 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 and make a game of it for a little while. And, uh, you know, I, I, I don't, I don't mind them giving the ball to Barkley at that point. I would have preferred that they try a pass play, even though, even though you've got Tommy DeVito back there still, though, there are many ways to get the ball to Saquon Barkley. The, the least interesting to me, least likely to succeed way to give the ball to Saquon Barkley in a fourth and two situation is to have him go right up the middle. And there are some teams when you, you can, you can give the ball and have them go right up the middle. I'm sure if the Cowboys had done that last night against the Giants on fourth and two, they would have gotten the first down, but, but the Giants were getting no movement on the Cowboys defensive line in the run game up to that point. Barkley had run four times before that. And he had gotten zero, zero, minus three, I think, and one yard or something or something like that. Uh, he got three yards later only on a play that was a direct snap to uh, to Barkley where where he, he took the ball up. So, like, at least if you're going to try him on that play, try something a little bit out of the ordinary so that you might catch them off guard long enough for him to get the two yards. But to just send him, like, right up the middle when when they're, they're doing nothing against the defensive line – I just threw my arms up and said, how could you possibly call that play in that situation? You know, I, I, I agree with you, Tony. The one thing you can't do when you're the lesser team, and it's obvious that the Giants were the lesser team. Dallas has outscored them 89 to 17 now over two games. And the one thing you can't do is just line up and try to smash the ball in there and say, okay, we're just going to line up and beat you on this play. And that's what the Giants did. I mean, obviously, you take the ball inside your one-yard line. You're not going to be able to be very creative. But the Giants were fortunate not to get a safety. You take the ball at your six-yard line with an undrafted rookie free agent quarterback. You're not going to be able to be incredibly creative. But... Slam the ball up the middle over and over and over just when you when you have an ineffective, I'll use the word inept offensive line. You know, when you're when the defense across from you is better than you are, the only thing you can do is be creative. I didn't see any creativity in the Giants run game. I don't even think they try to stretch play 
until the second half, which, you know, Saquon had a little bit of success in the second half with the stretch play getting outside. Mm -hmm. But, you know, do something. Do something formationally. Go back to that that three guys in the backfield, that T formation kind of thing that they did early in the season. Do something, you know, on that fourth and two play. You know, even go play action. Do something. But to just slam the ball up the middle was like, oh, why don't you just kick the field goal? <laughs> you know, and I and I I agreed with going for it because you're two and seven, and it doesn't matter. Go for it. Try to win the game. But that's the best play that you could come up with all week. You know, for a fourth for a fourth and goal situation. You know that it it has to get better than that. And you really, I and I guess that's the. That's the question I'd like answered more than any other question about this season is, is why has the style of the offense changed so radically from what it was last year? The thing I loved, I mean, obviously everybody loves the the success that they had last season and, and, and getting to the playoffs and winning a playoff game. That's, that's number one. But, but the thing I loved so much about last season was how enjoyable they were to watch because you never knew what they were going to do on offense. And you knew that they had zero talent basically back there on offense. And they were still at least sometimes moving the ball. I mean, I'll, I'll never forget the game in London against, against green Bay where uh, Barkley was out part of the game. Their, their top receivers, I think were, were out part of the game. You know, he, you know, and, and, and they, you know, they were, they were throwing the ball to, to Marcus Johnson and Richie James and, and things like that. And they were still moving the ball and, and fooling green Bay and, and going up and down the field coming back from what was it? A 20 to three or 17 to three deficit or something like that. Uh, to win the game against, you know, against Aaron Rodgers, right? And and I looked at that game. I looked at the Baltimore game the next week, and Baltimore was a team that did make the playoffs, and they managed to, to come back and beat them too. And I was just amazed at how at how this team manages to, to stay in games with as little talent as they seem to have. This year, the only thing that amazes me is 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 how inept they are. And and a lot of the personnel are the same, and the personnel that aren't the same are supposed to be better personnel yet the results are are much worse you know you have to acknowledge that the giants were using an undrafted rookie free agent quarterback on sunday so there's certain things that that they weren't going to be able to do we saw tommy devito's physical limitations on a deep ball to jalen hyatt he just doesn't have the arm strength to make that deep throw and yet you know, you as you were talking about, you go back to last year and week after week after games, you would you would go to social media and you would look at stuff from Dan Orlovsky of ESPN, or you would look at stuff from Brian Baldinger or other NFL analysts, and week after week it was the Giants are doing this with smoke and mirrors, they're doing this with scheme. They're they're doing this because they're out coaching the guys on the other side. It, they're not doing it based on talent. They're getting guys open based on scheme. They're creating running lanes based on scheme. And, and that's not happening this year. And I mean, I've been mystified by a lot of the ways that the Giants built this roster. 
I was, when I think back on it, um, I thought there was a, there were a lot of things that went on in training camp. When I think back on it, the way that the giants dealt with their offensive line, shoot, I've had questions about the way the giants have dealt with their offensive line almost every week, all season. I just haven't understood some of the decisions, but there's just been so much that they did well a year ago. And it's, it's the polar opposite this year. And it's just, it's mystifying from coaching to personnel decisions to, to in-game management, you know, and, and I mean, how do you blow a timeout on the first play of the game yesterday by challenging a play that can't be challenged and then basically having to force them to go through the machinations of a challenge that you knew you were going to lose. And, you know, that's, that's embarrassing for Brian Dable. I'm sorry. Yeah. And, and, and I just, I just don't get it. I'm mystified by all of it. One of the things that, and again, a lot of the stuff you read on Twitter is, is ridiculous, but one of the things I, I, have increasingly seen on Twitter and we were reminded again yesterday when I saw the highlights from other games is, uh, you know, talk about, about like, like using their personnel and this isn't even a creative way to do it. But, but uh, yesterday Odell Beckham uh, had a touchdown in the game against Cleveland on a simple slant. And, you know, every, every Giants fan remembers what, Eli Manning used to do with Odell Beckham on slants. There was that game they they won against Baltimore in the last minute when when he threw a simple slant to Odell and he took it and he took it to the house right for I don't know a seventy yard touchdown or or something like that. And people are saying on Twitter, why don't they ever use Jalen Hyatt that way? And basically, the only way the Giants ever use Jalen Hyatt is on a is on a deep pass, and they they seem to almost never try anything different with him and i look at him and say yeah why not just like a simple slant route you know it's and it's not it's not a it's not an innovative play it's a staple of of, of i think every offense's playbook yet i never see them try anything like that and uh I, I, you know and as you say they're they're also making just these curious decisions in game the 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 one that you referred to the uh, of dable kind of throwing the red flag on that first play I think everybody, I don't know, you're, you're, you're supposed to wait for the people upstairs to tell you that, yeah, that's worth challenging, right? And I don't see how anybody could have seen that as worth challenging because as soon as we saw the first replay, it was obvious that 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 the player caught the ball. And, and I, I don't know, there's just so many things that make you scratch your head this year. And I... I mean, if I if I didn't know better, I'd say that they actually were tanking. That they decided early on that Daniel Jones is not the guy, and they and they said, you know what, we got to get one of those top two quarterbacks, so we're gonna we're gonna try to lose this this year. And and I you know I can't really believe that that's true, but the way that they're playing and the way that they're coaching, I, you know, it, I, I think you can actually <laughs> accuse them of that if you want. And it's it's just you know I I don't really I don't really believe that, but they're playing like a team that's tanking. No, I get the, I get the, the, uh, the, I don't want to use the word accusation, but I get why you would feel that way because it just seems like you just want to throw your hands up and go, I know that you guys know better because I've seen you do better. So where is it? What is it? I go back to the game plans with Daniel Jones. 
the first two games of the season, as many times as Saquon Barkley has carried the ball this year, as many touches as he had, in games one and two of the season, Saquon Barkley, until the very end of the Arizona game when the Giants were just trying to run clock, Saquon Barkley was an afterthought. He was not really even part of the plan. The Giants basically just put the game in Daniel Jones's hands and said, here, you know, you, you, we want to be quarterback centric. You know, we have this great running back, but this is your team. We paid you a lot of money. So you go win. And when t- then Saquon got hurt, Saquon Barkley comes back in the lineup with Tyrod Taylor at quarterback. What did the Giants do? They ride Barkley unbelievably hard for three weeks. Daniel Jones comes back in the lineup, played, I think, two series or whatever it was before he got hurt. I'm not sure Saquon Barkley touched the football in those two series. It was drop back and throw, drop back and throw, drop back and throw, even though from the first play, Daniel Jones looked uncomfortable. And I I don't understand it. Use all of your weapons. Use your team the way that you know it can succeed. So you know, it's not just yesterday. It's not just the fourth and two play yesterday. There have been so many things about this year that that I haven't understood that it's just mystifying and and you know like like you it's like I'm just you know at that throw up my hands and and say I just don't understand what's going on sort of phase and yes as you've said so much of it comes back to you can't function without an offensive line but you know what throw a wide receiver screen once in a while. Run a jet sweep once in a while, you know. Run, you know. Let Tommy DeVito run run a zone read once in a while, um, you know. Do something that involves misdirection instead of just hand the ball off and and try to go straight ahead. I just, I just don't understand what the Giants have done at all yeah. this season. Yeah, you know, you mentioned the zone read. The zone read has, has more or less seemed to disappear from the Giants' playbook. Uh, they they they're doing so little of it now. Maybe maybe a lot of that is just other teams wise finally finally have have wised up to to the zone read and they're and they're not committing their edge so quickly uh, as as they were previously. But 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 obviously Daniel Jones has done almost nothing this year in the in the running uh department other than scrambles and you know in terms of designed runs that's really not been a part of of the offense uh much at all and when and a few times they tried it, it certainly hasn't succeeded but i, I think you know the, the the point you were making earlier is, is a good one that that they want to be a passing offense and maybe they convince themselves that with their offseason moves and with Jones's play late last season, maybe they convinced themselves that they were ready to become that passing offense. And it took them a little while to to realize, no, we can't do that yet. And 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 I think when they realized maybe they if they if they realized that they can't do that yet, they overcorrected and made it almost a purely running offense. And and I think you can do that on individual weeks, but you can't do it can't do it every week. And you especially can't do it 
if you have an offensive line that's just not good because you know as, as difficult as this as, as things were when they were backed up to the one yard line after after they made the the great goal line stand nice play by Aziz Ojolari by the way to to stop Pollard from getting into the end zone on fourth down but other teams have offensive lines that are at least good enough that when you're that when you're on the one line on the one yard line you can you can carve out two or three yards on first down and give yourself like a little bit of breathing room so that you're not risking the safety on, on a running play. But the Giants get no movement at all on, on the offensive line, you know, and they, and so knowing that 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 the, the 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 offensive line is not a good run blocking team, it seems to me you have no choice but to mix up the offense so that the defense doesn't know whether a run or a pass is is happening. Instead, the Giants seemed, as you say, to have gone from a mostly passing to a mostly running offense. And if you're a, a, the other team's defensive coordinator, you kind of can see that. I'm, I'm sure, and you can and you can plan accordingly. So you're not you're not fooling anyone. That's what they're not doing this year. They're not fooling anyone with any of their the, the plays they're calling. No, they're not. And you know, Tony, we we have to talk a little bit about some of the assistant coaches about all of that and about the future for this team. And for me, as I've said, I, as I sit here right now, I still can't imagine Brian Dayball not getting a third year. I can't imagine Joe Shane not getting a third year. Well, actually I can't imagine it. I can see where, if if this continues to spiral, if players continue to to argue on the sideline, if if the game results continue to not be competitive, you know, then I can see it. I can see it, but but I I believe Dable's going to at least make the make this team competitive over the last few games. I don't know if the Giants are going to win a game, but I'm still a believer in the idea that that Dayball and Shane will get more time. That said, I think you've got to look at this coaching staff. I, I'm also of the belief that I think Brian Dayball runs this offense next year. I think there's going to be enough heat on him that he's going to have to do what he does best and run this offense, which means I think Mike Kafka probably either gets demoted to an offensive coordinator who doesn't call plays or decides to take a job somewhere else. Um, you start to wonder about Wink Martindale, the way that the way that Dayball and Wink were going after each other last night. You start to wonder because Wink is such an outlier, and 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 you love pressure. You love the fact that he wants to get after quarterbacks, but you start to wonder because, as I said, he's such an outlier. You just wonder if the way he wants to play defense works in this in this league anymore. And the other guy, you get you you just you look at the way this offensive line plays. And you know what? Andrew Thomas is a great player. Justin Pugh's been a good player in this league for a long time. John Michael Schmitz can be a good NFL center. I think Ben Bredesen is at least an adequate player. Tyree Phillips is an adequate fill-in. There's just there's there's no reason week after week for so many free runners, for so many breakdowns, 
for guys to to look like they have no idea what they're doing on that offensive line and and I have to think that there are at least some position coaches that are in that that won't be back here next year. Yeah, I think that I think there's 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 no way you can let Bobby Johnson come back for a, another year as the as the offensive line coach and there's no way I think for us to know from the outside how much of it is his problem and and how much of it is just the players. But as you say the they they do have a few players on the offensive line who are supposed to be talented yet you're not seeing it uh, really much in, in their play. And uh, you know, as far as week Martindale goes, uh, I, you know, I, I, the thing I go back to is that last year in the playoffs, Wink changed the way he ran the defense. He, he blitzed very little in the playoff game against Minnesota, but what he did was to, to make sure he had two guys bracketing, Justin Jefferson at all times. And it worked. Uh, the Vikings got their yards, they got their points, but Justin Jefferson didn't kill him, kill them the way that, that, that he did in their first meeting a few weeks earlier. Uh, and you know, the, on the key play of the game, when, when Kirk cousins needed eight yards and really wanted to go downfield to Justin Jefferson, he didn't do it because he saw two defenders around him and he checked down to TJ Hawkinson instead, who wound up getting, getting three yards. So I know that, that he's willing to do different things when, when the situation calls for it. Yet it seems that this year he's less willing to do different things. And, and it seemed that last night, you know, that, that maybe they were, they were, dying for him to 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 call more zone defense instead of man defense and at some point i think you have to say you know what my cornerbacks are getting roasted on a regular basis i mean uh deontay banks is is not playing the way he did earlier in the season and whether it's because uh it's probably because the league has some film on him now and they say oh this is how we can beat him or whatever but he's also facing some very good receivers whatever the reason is he's not playing as well as he has earlier. The other cornerbacks aren't playing particularly well either. I think Jason Pinnock and sometimes Cordell Flott are the only, the only guys in the defensive backfield playing well. And so, you know, I really think that he needs to say, you know what, at, at this time, maybe I have to dial things back a little bit and play a different style of defense until yeah. personnel are better, better capable of, of doing what I'd really like to do. Well, when you, when you want the pressure breaks pipes philosophy that Martindale has, when you want to send extra rushers, that's, that's awesome. If you get there, if you get some sacks, if you get some hits, if you rush the quarterback, but the giants have no pass rush. They haven't had a sack in two weeks. The, I think they've barely hit quarterbacks. They barely touched Dak Prescott last night. And, when you're not getting there and you're exposing these young, inexperienced cornerbacks to really good wide receivers on these downfield throws, you're going to get burned. I mean, I still believe Tay Banks is going to be a very good NFL player, but the Giants are in a situation where in the last couple of weeks, they're, they're beginning to ask him to trail number one wide receivers from from other teams and and 
he's competitive, he's physical, he's got a good attitude. He gives you what he's got, but I don't think he's ready for that responsibility yet. And you're right. It's like at at some point, at some point, play some zone. Let your players face the quarterback. Let your players react to some things. Let them try to keep some things in front of them. And, and I hate sitting here thinking, because because I always thought Patrick Graham was too soft as a defensive coordinator. I always thought he didn't do enough to to try to pressure quarterbacks. I thought he always just tried to fool quarterbacks with coverage. But it's at some point, you know, you you've got to you've got to recognize that you're getting destroyed out there and try something different. And and Wink's been stubborn about that this year, no doubt no doubt about it. Yeah, and and I think you also have to consider the team that you're playing, all right? And the and the the Cowboys have a good offensive line. Maybe not quite as good as in their as in their glory years, but they still have a very solid offensive line. There's still a couple of you know great players on that offensive line. And the other thing, I mean, he, he's not my favorite quarterback in the world, but I think Dak Prescott does very well against the Blitz. And and he certainly you know, did that last night when, when on the rare occasions he did get pressured, he gets the ball out quickly. And of course they have such good wide receivers. I mean, CD lamb to me is, is if anything, an underrated receiver. I think he's one of the best receivers in the league, although some people don't seem to agree with that, but uh, he sure looked like it last night. And, And the thing is he, I think he's shown that he can actually deal with pressure. Some quarterbacks don't deal with pressure. Well, I think, you know, if you want to pressure Kirk Cousins, Kirk Cousins is going to be affected by pressure uh, probably. And there are other quarterbacks who will be affected by pressure. But I think Dak Prescott is a is a guy that maybe you don't want to want to blitz a lot. And so you have to know who you're playing. And between, I think, Dak's own skills and the skill of that offensive line, once you see that that you're not getting home with the blitz, then I think you have to change up what you're doing and he just may be more reluctant to do that than a defensive coordinator should be he's not he may not be good at reacting to game situations in in the way that other defensive coordinators are you know as you say you know pressure on on quarterbacks means means a lot but there are some teams that are good enough that they can just get pressure with four all the time uh the 40 49ers you know as if they as if they didn't have enough pass rushers you know added chase young so now they can add them add him to bosa and to hargrave well that team probably doesn't have to blitz a lot in order to get pressure on a quarterback but the giants aren't aren't like that and so I think you have to say, well, what are the skills of the players I have and what's the best defense I can use with the the players that I do have? Absolutely, Tony. You know, it's just another of the the many, many, many mystifying things that have gone on this year with the New York Giants. Obviously undermanned, obviously seven games of of, of this remaining. All we really have at this point is uh, – it is looking forward to the draft, but uh, you and I will continue to do this after games uh, each and every week. And hopefully maybe one of these days we'll have something fun to talk about because this certainly isn't any fun. Yeah, this this must be our penance for all the bad things that we've done in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 man. 
Don't don't even don't even make me think about those things, Tony. <laughs> All right, Giants fans, thank you as always for listening. Please uh, stay safe out there. Take care of each other, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye bye.